Welcome to Crime Wave with Bonner Spring, a podcast featuring mystery, thriller, and suspense authors and the stories behind their stories. I'm your host, Bonner Spring, proud to be part of the Authors on the Air global radio network with more than 4 million listeners worldwide. My guest today is the always scintillating Alan Orloff. Alan has published 10 novels and more than 45 short stories. His work has won an Anthony and Agatha uh, Derringer and two ITW Thriller Awards. His latest novel, Sanctuary Motel from Level Best Books, releases on October 24th. Alan loves cake and arugula, but not together, never together. And he lives and writes in South Florida, where the examples of hijinks are endless, he says. Welcome to Crime Wave, Alan. Thank you, Bonner. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. Okay. Well, that brief bio should give our listeners an idea of your sense of humor. Um, I hope you'll stick around and chat if I tell you that. <clears throat> well, I also love arugula. I actually prefer potato chips to chocolate. Can you handle that? Uh, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they go better together. Works. You know what I mean? You know, the crunch and the salady stuff. It works. Trust me. So, Anyhow, I asked Alan to come on the show after I read some advanced blurbs for Sanctuary Motel. I was bowled over, seriously, by the simplicity and the, the coolness of the setup. And we're going to get to the setup later. But first, the motel itself, the Sanctuary Motel, okay? Its real name is the Fairfax Manor Inn. Lordy, Alan, I've seen that motel. <laughs> I probably stayed at that hotel and I'm absolutely positive I played miniature golf next door, okay? Is there a story behind the setting? I hope so. Well, yeah, I mean, there is. I, um, and I'll tell you where I came up with the premise for the, the novel and the series, because it is yep. the first in the series. Yep. I, um, I heard on the news, I don't remember where it was. I think it was a network news show that a municipality, and again, I don't remember what city it was, had decided to turn several of their abandoned motels into housing for the homeless. Oh. And I thought, okay, that is a good idea. So I combine that with my love of, shall we say, quirky motels. And you might read that as uh, seen better days, down on their luck. Uh, dilapidated, divey motels. And I got this love from my father mostly because he would take our family on vacation when we were kids. And my father was a frugal man. So we would end up not at the luxurious holiday inns, but we would end up at some no-name motel that had uh, you know some kind of deal going on. Uh, there's a, a beach town we used to go to, Ocean City, Maryland. So uh, if you live in the D.C. area, you, I'm sure you've heard of that. And we used to stay every year at this place called The Stowaway. And it was, it, was, it was right on the beach, right on the boardwalk. So that part was really nice. But it hadn't been updated since the 40s, the 50s, maybe. I don't know. And, and uh, it was quite interesting. I was always fascinated by the selection of snacks and drinks in the vending machines. Because they weren't your traditional Doritos or Fritos or Lay's potato chips. They were these crazy off-brand 
you know, stuff that most people would like, ooh, gross, how long has that been in there? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to try this. So that was always great. We, again, if, if you live on the eastern seaboard and you've driven up 95, you'll, you may, you may perhaps see a sign or two for this place called South of the Border, which is a super, super tourist trap right south of the North Carolina, South Carolina border. And believe it or not, they have a motel there. And believe it or not, I have stayed at that motel. And it isn't fully in keeping with the rest, rest of that kitschy, uh, anything for a buck kind of motel. And of course, I had a great time. I, I just love these, these things. There's a, there's a motel in Los Angeles where my son lives. It's called the Safari Inn. And it's an independent motel and it's got a, it looks kitschy from the outside, but my wife won't let me book a stay there. So maybe, maybe one day, maybe one day. So I combined those, those two, I, my love of cheapy motels, quirky, I like to say, quirky motels with this idea of, uh, you know, helping others that are in need. That was a great overview, and I would like the record to reflect that I am like trying to keep myself from laughing so I don't <laughs> screw up the audio of this this interview. Thank you very much. Um, you referred to, I, and actually, I like the word CD motels, and I did. I I, I grew up traveling I ninety five as well, so yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, although you know, you put it in small town Virginia, um, not the South Florida where you are now, with Carl Hyacin and Dave Barry fame, but. You do populate your seedy, quirky motel. Okay, let's call it a quirky motel quirky, with some okay. fairly seedy characters. How about that? Good. <laughs> um, but the setup of the story that I, I I described is so neat and so simple. Um, can you give us a little bit more of an idea without giving away who done it um, about the, the the crime or crimes at the heart of Sanctuary Motel? Sure. Well, again, you know, the uh, our, our the protagonist's name is Mess Hopkins, and he's 30, 31, and he is running this motel uh, for his parents who have owned the hotel for the last you know, two decades. But they've sort of checked out. They're traveling the world, mostly incommunicado, and they've told Mess, you run the motel. Any, any money you make, you know, you can live on. Please don't run into the ground because at some point we want to sell it because the land is worth a lot. So Meth, Mess is a lot more interested in helping others than making money. And he's got, uh, his uncle is, is still around, Uncle Phil, who's his father's brother. And Uncle Phil seems to have the idea that he is sort of an over, overseer as well of this motel. And he is for, he's always trying to guide Mess in the right direction about, you know, you need to make money, you need to not reduce the room rates for those indigents and you can't attract this clientele, it's bad for business and so on and so on. So, so um, one day, Vel, um, Mess's best friend, Vel, brings a mother and son to Mess's attention and says, you know, they need some sanctuary. They're escaping a bad situation, a bad domestic situation, mm -hmm. and they come to stay at the motel. And from there, uh, Mess has to deal with uh, this 16-year-old boy is feeling disenfranchised from from the world. Is I guess say to say, like many 15, 16-year-olds, uh, and the mother, you know, Mesk discovers pretty quickly that uh, he's not getting the full story about what's going on. 
So as and I'm not, I won't give any spoilers, but as as they go along, he and Vel and this uh, local news reporter Leah, uh, they endeavor to help Mess solve the problems of of his new um, residence. So that's a that's a, that's a really that's a really nice look at the, at the setup. Um, so often in books that I really in, enjoy reading, it's not just the plot, which you basically described for us, the mystery that I get into, but also the characters who solve it. Now, what you've got here, um, I think I'll give maybe a slight bit away. The mom, Kevin's mom, is not around a lot in the beginning, say half of the book. So you've got Vel and his motley crew, I'm sorry, you've got a mess and his motley crew of Vel and the gang. Um, I don't even know what the right verb is, you know, uh, dealing with, for lack of something, you know, with Kevin, who I think you said was 15, but he initially tells everyone he's 18. Right, right, that's right. He says it's it's 18. Um, You wrote a wonderful young adult uh, novel a couple of years ago called I Play One on TV, which won an Anthony, and I know because I was there and I watched you get it. And I think an Agatha, that's some of the teapot. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and an right. Agatha. Um, and it was just such a dynamite portrayal of a teenager faced with a serious problem. Okay. Now you've got Kevin and the circumstances are all different, but Kevin in Sanctuary Motel, the 15 year old, he's so, he's so believably teenaged, you know, his speech, his secrets, his incredible bravery at times and his incredible stupidity at other times, the lack of teenage perspective on the world. Okay, here's the question. I've, 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 I've gone on long enough. How do you so get into the head and the brains of teenagers? Yeah, I know. I know we were all there at one time, but it was a while back before cell phones and the internet and all the rest of that shit. How do you do it? I can answer that in one sentence. I raised two teenage boys. <laughs> period. Okay, um, I'm no, not censoring I mean, I, the I laughter. Did, I did, and, and you, you've referenced my earlier uh, the YA novel, where they, you know, all the characters basically were uh, young adults, mm-hmm. and that drew heavily on my experience with my son, who was a teenage actor, who's an actor now, but he was a teenage actor. Um, but it's the same sort of sensibilities that I, I hope. I mean, I think. I hope I did a good job of balancing. You're right. One day they'll be so insightful and say something so on point and clever and worldly. And the next is like, have you seen my sunglasses? Yeah, they're on your head. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. It, it's like quite a dichotomy while they're still sort of um, maturing and filling out their uh, proverbial adult clothing. Um, so, yeah, so it was, I enjoy writing at that that age because again i've I've, you you also you know i won't take this personally but yeah it's been a while since i've been a teenager Uh but um having my two sons go through it you know they were i don't know that i could have written that character as well if i hadn't lived through it twice myself so uh yeah thank you for that yes yeah, I I, I appreciate I appreciate that. Um, one does get a clear sense in your book, unlike some other books that will have a um, a token generic you know kid in it. That you 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 know kids. I've got a, actually a fifteen year old in my life right now. Oh, I hope to hell she's not listening. Her mom is not listening because she 
<laughs> she does all those same things too. And it's really funny. Um, where, um, where else do you find um, inspiration for some of the, uh, the quirky characters that you put into your books? Oh gosh, you know, I think it's pretty hard not to see uh, interesting characters. I, I'm not, uh, I am, you may not be able to, you, you may not know this, or if you've met me at a conference or something, you, you might not believe this. I'm a stone cold introvert. So when I'm out anywhere in public, at the store, in line, at the post office, something, I'm not conversing with anyone. I'm sitting back and watching. I, you know, sometimes I'll go to the mall and I'll just watch or I'll be at the library or the wherever. And I just watch people. And I think sometimes it's so fascinating because they don't always know they're being observed and they'll do these quirky things or unusual yeah. things. So I sort of, I guess I filed all that away and sort of when I need something, I, something pops back into my head. I, um, I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, I, I tried to put together a, a nice diverse cast of characters because I do want, I mean, this is going to be a series. I'm halfway through the first draft of the second book now. Good. And I think having a rich array of characters to draw from and to include uh, really just sort of fleshes out the whole, it makes things more realistic, right? I mean, a person has more than just two or three friends. They might have a whole uh, bunch of friends and they're in different contexts and different groups and different circles. So I tried to make, um, more so than in, a, in what a, a book I know that's going to be a standalone, I try to have as many options for future storylines mm -hmm. as possible. I think that's I think that's great. Um, it really it really is a wonderful diverse um, group of characters. Um, there was something else I wanted to ask you about that, but it's like in and out of my brain. So I'm just going to move on to my next question. Um, you write really all of your books, um, at least all the ones that I've read of your books, which is not everything, really um, tidy mysteries. In other words, you set up, you, you set up your characters and the plot and you always tie it off. Do you always know where your story's going when you start writing, Alan? Yeah. You know, there's two camps of writers. There are the plotters, the people that, and that's, I'm a plotter with two D's, but I'm also a plotter with two T's. So there's the plotters and then there are their pantsers, the people that write about, they see their pants. And, um, and if you're a combination, you're a plotzer. But no, I am a plotter. I need to plot. So I write, I, I need to know how the book starts, the inciting incident, you know, the premise. And I need to know the ending, where I'm heading. And in my books, good always defeats evil, as you alluded to. So I always have the, the hero, the protagonist, face off with the villain, hopefully one-on-one. -on -one. You know, I try to get all the ancillary characters, the law enforcement people out of the way and just let the, the hero and the villain face off. And then I try to go back and put in either set pieces along the way or a big tent pole, mm -hmm. you know, kind of hold up the plot in various spots. And then right at 50% or so, I aim to have a big twist, something that turns the whole story on its end, like on its ear. So not only is the protagonist who's sort of trying to solve a situation, is he surprised, he or she surprised, but the readers are as well. That's and then at the end, I try to have a good twist or two. Um, yeah. So, you know, um, I, try to, I will say that I, although I do outline somewhat, mostly, the outline changes and it, it's, it's a, my first drafts are a complete mess. No pun intended. 
<laughs> no pun at all. Um, I've often referred to um, my style of writing as sort of the car, the car driving along the road. I mean, I know my destination. I know where I've started and I know my destination. You've heard this one before, right? You know, but I can only usually see as far along as my headlights go. But the more I write, you know, the more further along I am and the more I see. And sometimes make a few wrong turns here and there to, to extend the car metaphor, but I usually get there in the end. Um, so I don't know, I guess that makes me a pretty, pretty much of a plotter. And that's stuff. a great, that's a great analogy, right? You yeah. need to know, you need, if you're going to LA from DC, you need to know you're going through Chicago and then you're going to go through, uh, my geography is not great, Denver. Or I have no idea. But, you know, you, how to get from Chicago to Denver right. might be here. Right. You need to know where to stop and where to eat and what to look at along the way and all that other stuff. So yeah, I, I do like which, which quirky motels to go to. Which, thank you for saying that. That's perfect. Absolutely perfect. So, um, you just alluded to the fact that you're working on book two, and I was delighted to hear that. Is there anything that you can share with Crime Wave listeners about what's going to happen? Certainly, certainly. This is, uh, I mentioned Uncle Phil, and Uncle Phil's a little more involved in the second one because uh, a long lost family member returns to the fold and creates all sorts of complications. So I examine sort of um, more of a, the family dynamics. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in families. So there's plenty of opportunity for conflict. Oh, yeah. So we'll see how that, it, it's a little more personal for Mess this time because he was very close to this member, the family member who has now returned. And the, the family member is in trouble and he's the one who needs sanctuary at Mess's motel, so on and so on. So, you know, there's also, you know, a crime involved. And um, I don't know what happens because well, I know what happens, but I don't know how to get there from where Got I am it. now to where I am. But I'm sure it will be. Here's my this is my outline, my scene outline for the next few, the next half of the book. Something exciting happens. So I'm all set. I just need to kind of figure out what that is. Right. Yeah. I remember those stages. I used to put local color in parentheses and yeah. add a little that that little something that I don't know what it is just just yet. Um, what um what do you like to read when you're not writing? I like to read well. I read a lot of other crime fiction mm -hmm. because I've um, you know I've, I've met a lot of great people in these in, in the crime fiction writing world. I read your book Disappeared, which was fantastic. I loved it. Um, so I do read a lot in crime the crime fiction world. I also read a lot of horror and science fiction. Oh. And I grew up while, I mean, I hated English class. I was a numbers guy back in, in high school and college and so on. Uh, and I avoided English classes as best I could. So I never really read James Joyce or William Faulkner or the guy who wrote about the white whale or any of that stuff. I didn't, you know, there's something about Mohicans. I didn't read any of those things. I would read Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein, and then Stephen King and Dean Koontz. So I've read a lot of those. I, I've written a horror novel, and I've got a couple manus horror manuscripts. So I, I read those things as well. Once in a while, That's I'll read some, some nonfiction book that sparks my interest. That's great. I grew up, I grew up reading. I have brothers. So I grew up reading all their science fiction books. Um, 
um, the first short story I ever wrote was science fiction, actually. Yeah. So um, I, mean, I don't, I, I do, I don't do world building anymore. I, I just sort of take what I see out the window more, more. Yeah, well, I, well, I would love to be to to have the confidence to write a big space opera kind of thing. Oh yeah. But I just yeah. don't. I don't know that I could do it justice. You know, I would be a little. And I and I have a technical. I'm an engineer. I have a technical background. I could probably do it, but I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure you could. Um, so, public service announcement to all Crime Wave list, uh, listeners: I've read Sanctuary Mattel, and you should read it too. All right. Now, Alan, before we go off the air, can you tell our listeners where they might find you online? And if you're doing uh, in-person events for the launch of um, Sanctuary Motel, which I believe I said was on the 24th of October, uh, would you let them know, people know where they can find you in person? Certainly. I will be doing a local launch party here in South Florida. It'll be at the Deerfield Beach Historical Society on November 18th. Saturday at 1.30. It's free. I'll talk about my books, about my writing, and there will be cake. Will there be arugula? There will not be arugula. Okay. Uh, and I will be, I have be doing a number of online podcasts and guest blogs and so on. I guess the best way to find out about all those is to be my friend on Facebook. So I, um, I do a lot of, uh, I used to blog regularly a lot, but then I sort of realized, you know, I could spend a quarter of the time or less writing a three sentence Facebook post rather than a, you know, 500 word blog post. And I could do it every day and so on. And I could just do what I wanted. So I've, I've moved a lot of my online stuff to Facebook. I'm a little bit on Twitter, a little bit on Instagram. There's this thing called Threads, which I've started to be have a presence on when for the inevitability of when Twitter further self implodes. Yeah, we're uh, all making backup plans, I think. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'd be, I'll be at the conferences. I go to the conferences. So. Well, um, I I can't thank you enough for coming and joining us today, and I hope that you have all kinds of success with thank, Sanctuary Motel and with whatever comes next down the line. And please come back and talk sometime again. Thank you for having me, Bonner. It was a lot of fun.